the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's I on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer. AM 970 presents I on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Good morning, everyone. Concerned about struggling stores? Will restaurants be able to come back? Are certain shopping centers going dark? We just had the votes and the election day, but we're waiting to see what the new policy questions and procedures will be out there. Your questions calling in and these topics and more today and I in real estate with your host, Dottie Herman. Unfortunately, Dottie is not here this week, but she will be back next week. Today, it will be myself, Stephen Ebert real estate attorney and partner at the law firm of Barton LLP, and my colleague Ace Watanasupart, a national leader and senior vice president over at Citizens Bank. Good morning, Ace. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Doing very well. I'm enjoying this beautiful day. The sun is out. We can see the building shining, and there's a lot going on for us to talk about. How's everything with you? Oh, it's a beautiful weekend, a great start to Saturday morning, and Unfortunately, we don't have Dottie today, but, you know, what we do have is all of you guys. So if you guys have any questions in real estate, finance, um, you know, legal, anything, just give us a call at one 970 But I'm doing well, Stephen. It's been a crazy, crazy market so far, um, especially with the elections. But uh, the one thing that I can tell you is that real estate is definitely on fire right now. So... Um, I think um, we had a report out. We had the biggest um, activity level of purchase uh, transactions last month, and it was a 16% increase from last year um, in the month of October. So that's great news in terms of what's going on in the uh, real estate market. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's very exciting. I think a lot of the conventional wisdom is really turned upside down. When people think of what the seasonality of the market is, that's changing. Preferences are changing. And I think also we're going to see some trends back, too. You know, I think the, the story that we've had for a few months have been people looking for places in the suburbs, bigger home offices. And I think that there's, there's legs to that trend. But also what I'm seeing is a little rebalancing back, too. I'm also seeing people maybe, you know, with the weather getting a little colder, with maybe some predictions of, you know, we'll get some snow soon, that all of a sudden people are making some reevaluations and realizing, okay, what am I really looking 
for a living experience? And also, how do I find the property that has the right resources? If I'm looking in an area, it's not just about maybe having a little bit more space, but can I have myself and a couple of kids, can, can my Internet capacity cover that when I have three or four people on Zoom simultaneously? Is that going to work, and can we get work efficiently done? So there's definitely a lot more, I think, to the analysis that people are going through um, in deciding the right kind of place to live. Oh, I totally agree, Stephen. I mean, the suburbs have seen a huge, huge increase in interest. interest. And um, I was up in upstate New York in Albany, and I was hiking. And, um, you know, there was so much um, activity. I was actually looking at a couple of uh, second home sort of uh, properties. And believe it or not, I made an offer for about 400000 on a home. And you wouldn't believe the the amount of bidding wars that was going on in that same property, and they ended up selling it for six hundred and fifty thousand, uh, Stephen. So, two someone came in and and offered two hundred and fifty thousand more than the asking, and it's it's just an unbelievable um, market. And and to your point, Stephen, there's there's a lot of activity in different markets depending on where you are, and. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where the pandemic has definitely shifted people's thoughts. I think people are looking for a bigger home where they can have family gatherings. And, um, you know, as far as New York City, you know, there's been a, a lot of news on a mass exodus. But I can tell all of our listeners today that with that type of um, crisis and, and news, there's always opportunity, right? So there's there's a lot there's a lot of things going on, Stephen. I can tell you that right now. You know, a lot of things going on in the, in the New York marketplace. So I, I agree with you. You know, it's interesting, and I want to I want to touch on that Exodus comment, and then I want to come back and also tie that to mortgage rates. But I think you know, there's a great saying: things are never as good as they seem, nor are they as bad as they seem. And and I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, people are, and this is part of our continuing analysis of this. If we go back a couple of weeks ago when I had my colleague Alvin on, on sort of the residency tax issues and residency planning, what we're seeing is a lot of people maybe making temporary or one-year plans, um, but it's becoming apparent for a lot of these folks that all of a sudden this is really a one-year plan. They realize the connectivity and they're realizing also, while they're out at maybe some of these places temporarily in the Hamptons or the Hudson Valley, they're realizing that there is interesting activity going on. Um, I can tell you we have a number of clients that are actually looking at office space. And I think we're going to see, for, for new leases, I think we're going to see an, an evolution in what businesses are looking for in space. There's a lot of discussions on what kind of environmental system, so, you know, good HVAC systems, so that way they know air is circulated. But also, I think, a change in the space that they're going to give to workers as well, um, because at the end of the day, they're realizing when you have a real nexus of talent and energy, that really has all sorts of benefits to a business. And they don't want to really destroy that. Um, so it's absolutely critical, and it's interesting seeing already an evolution. But I want to focus on, if I can go back for a second, you know, going back on the residential side for a moment. And the conversations that we're having with people is actually people doubling down 
on the city. What we're seeing is that people are saying, finally, the opportunity is here. Because we're in such a high-cost market, I'm seeing people who wanted to have families in the city realize that we have this combination of some softness, some opportunity for buying decisions, although, as you rightly point out, each deal is unique, and you could have a major bidding war like you had in that property, and then also tied in with rates. So if you can just tell people a little bit about where the market is today, and I'd like to have a little back and forth talking about where we might see some evolution. It's always tough to be in the prediction business, but where we think rates might go, and we can make some sort of fun guesses on what some policies we might see. But if you want to go ahead and talk about some rates, please. Uh, that's always the million-dollar question, right, Stephen? So nobody has a crystal ball here, but I can tell you rates currently, they're below 3%. So if you're looking for a 30-year fixed rate, you're probably looking at a rate of 2.875%. You know, if you have very, very good credit, you could even get as low as 2.75%. So um, extremely, extremely record low um, rates that that we're probably not going to see in our lifetime again, Stephen, right? So, and as we go into 2021, the consensus from the economists and even, you know, things that we're seeing here at the bank, uh, we're not really foreseeing any increases um, with the stimulus package hopefully being passed. Um, we're going to see low rates for the next at least 12 months um, going into 2021, maybe a slight increase towards the, the latter part of next year, but nothing too, too major. So, um, you know, we're, we're probably in, we're going to be in this environment for, for a little bit of time. And, you know, as, as our listeners um, are, are going to see, it's not going to be forever. Right. And there's only one direction that the rates are going to go um, after we start recovering, which is it's going to increase. So um, Stephen, you were just saying to take advantage of the, the prices today in this marketplace, the low rate environment today. And, um, it's going to be a very interesting next 12 months, um, but a lot of activity. I think a lot of people are realizing that their money is going a lot. Um, it's it's going a lot longer, right? It's, um, you know, with rates at 2.75, you can afford homes that you never thought or believed that you can afford. So it's definitely the right time to inquire. Reach out to Stephen as an attorney. Reach out to myself as a banker. Um, but information is, is going to be powerful uh, within the next 12 months. You know, it's, it's interesting on that point. I mean, I guess about buying power. You know, I always tell clients, as long as they can get past that down payment, you're living with the monthly payment. And we had a closing literally yesterday for a property in the city. And the client was so happy when they were done. They said to me, you know, we're actually paying less in our monthly payment now as an owner with a mortgage than we're paying in rent. And that's not even factoring any tax savings. And we actually have a little bit more space than we have as a rental. So we're actually yeah. paying mm-hmm. less, which that, is, is really amazing. That happens all the time, Stephen. So your client experiencing that is something that we see every single day um, on the mortgage side, right? Clients come in, they're paying an astronomical amount on rent, and um, they realize, wow, you know, if I buy this property, I'm actually paying the same amount of rent or even lower. And plus, you get the upside on appreciation and um, some tax benefits, right? So, but hopefully, there's a lot of reform in terms of policies uh, for New York City or New York State. 
and we start seeing people um, start to come back you know, because this is a beautiful city. It's a vibrant city full of energy, and you know, hopefully um, we'll, we'll see some, some policies be reformed. But I think we have a couple of callers as well, Stephen, um, coming sure, in. Yeah, um, Joe calling in from Manhattan. And then we have Rhonda on the line. So just hold on, Rhonda. We'll be right with you, okay? But, Joe, good morning. Good morning, my friends. It's a shame Dottie's not here, but God bless her, and God bless you guys for the service you provide, American Marine veteran. I just want to start off with one thing positive, because the rest is negative, unfortunately. Um, this, uh, excuse me, this American Veterans Day, the chain restaurants offer a comp-free meal to American veterans. That's the only positive thing. Now, you know, I've been in this situation for months now. There was raw sewage in the apartment, not my doing. The insurance is dragging their feet with relocation, emergency. That's why I pay insurance. The bottom line is they offered me $4,000 to leave. I had to be out in four days. But it was my sixth sense told me it wasn't legitimate because they wouldn't wire the money into my account or meet me at the bank with a certified check. They wanted me to be stupid enough to sign the apartment back to them, give them the key, and then trust them. Trust them. They were the ones who left me and my service animal in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey for three days and two nights in the 113-degree temperature weather. Here's the latest. I received a notice from the law firm that they're going to attempt to, um, on the 23rd of November of 2020, begin a termination of my tenancy. It's all American veterans in the building. Thirteen of us have died, God rest their souls. And the bottom line is I go on food runs every day, six days a week, to get food to those who are shut-ins. Here's the bottom line. They're claiming um, false accusations against me about um, uh, incidents and uh, unsanitary condition. I did not create the raw sewage. I did everything that I did could do to clean it up. Now, the courts. Housing landowner tenant are closed until next year. Can they terminate the subsidized tenancy without the court? Okay, so Joe, first of all, thank you for calling in again, and, and we first of all wish you the best. I know you've had a very tough time. A um, couple things to keep in mind, and this is what my recommendation is: maybe you and, and your fellow neighbors can can band together and have someone assist you as a group. Uh, maybe that might be helpful to consider. But the reality is, in New Jersey, landlords are not allowed to engage in self-help. They can't go in. They can't change the locks. They can't throw you out. They need to have a court order. And this is important for people generally. While landlord-tenant rules do vary state by state, and even within various counties and cities within a state, generally speaking, landlords are not allowed to self-help. They can't physically throw you out if you haven't paid the rent. They can't physically lock you out. They do need to go uh, to the courts. Everybody gets their day to prove the facts. And then I want people to also know, even if the landlord wins, let's say they're in the right. Obviously, I don't know your particulars. I know you've told, but I'll have to finish. I just got to make sure we get to our next caller because we have a few people on hold. So I want to address it and, and be able to address some other issues for folks. The the thing is, they cannot without a judgment from the court. And then what happens is, they would have to bring in a local sheriff or marshal to enforce the judge's order. So they they can't just throw you out in the street uh, physically. If they do, 
recommend you call the local authorities to make sure that it's all documented. And, and, and best of luck, Joe. I know it's, you're going through a tough time with things. Um, I, I know, Ace, we have some more folks on hold. Yes, Stephen. I believe, let's see, Rhonda from New York City, you had a question on restaurant yes. leases. Yes. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, we can. Oh, perfect. Hello. I'm a big fan. Your show is wonderful. Um, I'm calling in from White Plains, Westchester County, uh, north of the city, suburbs. I'm just curious um, your thoughts and your predictions about the restaurant industry um, as the winter's coming um, and their leases and um, just, you know, what the situation might be as the winter's coming. I I think this is one of the toughest things that are out there, and, and I know after I comment, um, Ace is in a position to speak about it firsthand because his family also is in the restaurant industry as well. Um, one thing to first start with, even in good time, restaurants are relatively a low-margin business, so it's really tough on them. And this is where I think in New York – there needs to be a really a much bigger dialogue between the industry and the government. When you have colder weather, the outside seating, which could help, although honestly even at 50% seating, I don't see how the numbers really work for a lot of restaurants. Um, the, the, the government really needs to have some more flexibility with restaurants for them to make it. And as much as there is an issue... In Westchester, White Plains in particular, it will be a bigger issue even in the more urbanized area. The, West, uh, the White Plains obviously is a big urban area because there's limited room. Having one or two tables on a sidewalk when a restaurant inside might have 20 or 30 tables, just the economics um, become absolutely terrible. Um, I'll say more in a second, but Ace, if you want to comment maybe about the restaurant economics, then we can talk about some solutions that we see for the industry. Yeah, definitely, Stephen. I mean, you know, all valid points that you just brought up. Um, and, and Rhonda, thank you so much for the question. I happen to have firsthand experience because, to Stephen's point, you know, my family's in the restaurant business as well. And it's tough. The margins are really, really thin. And that's why we're seeing so many restaurants um, closing down, right? Because they just don't have the bandwidth or the reserves, the capital reserves to um to wherewithal just to stay in business but you know the one thing that i can tell you is that new yorkers are resilient um they are we've seen at least in my family's business we've seen a tremendous amount of support in terms of folks coming out and ordering from the restaurants directly not going through a third-party aggregator but it's going to be a tough winter season just because of what steven just mentioned with 50 percent capacity um, although there is outdoor seating, and it's been beautiful thus far, um, you know we're we're preparing for um, a pretty cold winter. A lot of restaurants have already gone out and bought those portable heaters, but it's uh, it's still going to be a a a, um, a tough environment with just fifty percent capacity, right? So. Yeah, and also, you know, I want to add on that. What I'm seeing is for some restaurants that are successful, they are able to really increase their takeout and delivery business. And I think what you're going to see is a difference between different types of restaurants. When you have more of a deli diner type restaurant, that can work well. I think it's going to be a lot tougher for fine dining. You know, you don't want to have 
you know, go out for an expensive meal and have it delivered lukewarm, a lukewarm steak in a, in a paper box and eating it a half hour is cooked, right? So depending upon, I think, the type of cuisine, that's going to make a difference. And I think this is really critical. And once we get after the break to address this, exactly how restaurants and retail have a dialogue with landlords to get through this and really what is the future of retail. We'll be back after the break to talk more. You're listening to Ion Real Estate. United Healthcare Medicare Advantage plans, there's so much to take advantage of, like $0 copays on hundreds of prescription drugs. Wow. Pick up at your local pharmacy or take advantage of free delivery. To learn more, visit AdvantageWow.com. Wow. Uh-huh. That's AdvantageWow.com. $0 copay may be restricted to particular tiers, preferred medications, or mail-order prescriptions during the initial coverage phase and may not apply during the coverage gap or catastrophic stage. Free delivery with preferred mail-order pharmacies. Wow. There's no place like home for the holidays or homedepot.com for holiday decor with Black Friday prices inside and out. Like artificial Christmas trees starting at just $39.98 or outside lights and playful inflatables to bring joy to the neighborhood. Order holiday decor online and you'll even get free delivery. Holiday decorating improved with an assortment of holiday decor plus free online delivery from homedepot.com. How doers get more done while supplies last. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, to leave their hard-earned dollars to loved ones or charities of their choice. But when people become ill and need to go into a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain your assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. You can keep your control and your choice over your assets. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that's specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free, initial, comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. You can also visit them at connorsandsullivan.com. Don't let nursing home bills take your life savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. In the Army National Guard, soldiers serve part-time and close to home. My community means everything to me. It helps shape me into who I am today and is where I choose to raise my own family. That's why I joined the Army National Guard. I'm proud of where I'm from. And as a soldier, I get to give back to the people that helped me succeed. The education benefits I got from serving helped me get my degree and jumpstart my career. The training and leadership skills I've gained from the Army National Guard help me every day when I teach young people, help my neighbors, and look out for my community. I know that when my neighbors need us the most, my fellow soldiers and I will be ready. My family loves it here, and my part-time service means we get to stay here. Serve part-time in the community you live in as a proud member of the Army National Guard. Talk to your local recruiter or visit NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. Aired by the New York State Broadcasters Association and this station. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or radio.com. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. 
I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son, founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only $19.95 to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Welcome back, and thank you again for joining us on I on Real Estate. Unfortunately, Dottie is not with us this week, but she'll be back next week. I'm Stephen Ebert, real estate attorney. I'm here with my colleague, Eswatana Suparp, a senior um, leader over at Citizens Bank, who knows everything there needs to know about getting a mortgage and the entire process. So please call us with your questions. Give us the easy ones, the tough ones, whatever you need, what's on your mind. Uh, we're here for you. And, you know, we wanted to, before the break, we were talking about what's going on and the impact on restaurants and how do they really get through, you know, the winter. And, you know, it's a great question and a very big topic, and we want to broaden that to really talk about retail in general, what's going on on Main Street, how do stores survive when they have just that they, you know, in the big cities, what does it mean also for the future of shopping malls as well, if their exchange is there. And we have a lot of very interesting data, and stores are really making some decisions. There's a concept in the commercial real estate industry about what we call going dark, which means they turn off the lights. And some stores are unfortunately doing that as a strategy because opening the doors adds an additional expense. And they're trying to realize what's the right balance between online and brick? What is the nature of the customers coming in right now? Is it people who are living there? Is it people who are coming back to work? And how do they strike that right balance? And we're really seeing a lot of different approaches right now want to talk a little bit about Macy's department store. They have, of course, people know the famous movie, Miracle on 34th Street, right in Herald Square, right in the middle of Manhattan. We have the big, largest department store in the world, Macy's. But they have locations all around the country. And what they're trying to do is basically reimagine and redesign what they're doing as a store experience. And I think what we're seeing from retailers is that One, how do they work with customers that come in and want to feel safe? Number two, how do they work in with a hybrid model? And what we're seeing is that it's not just a matter of you have a brick store or you have an online presence, but what we're seeing is an evolution where the online presence and the physical presence work together. We're seeing that maybe people buy online and pick up in the store, They maybe buy online or return in the store. They 
buy in the store or they shop in the store to get a feel for things and then complete the purchase online. So what the retail environment is learning is where how consumers are changing and how they're adopting to a buying experience. And then what does this really mean for the future of retail? Now, I remember growing up, and Ace, I don't know if you had the same experience growing up, but when I was a teenager, what some people did was they got together with a few friends and their parents dropped them off in, in the mall. And I said, there, there was no real cell phone to call back on. I'll meet you back at a certain time at this part of the mall and pick you up in a few hours and you can hang out with your friends. Um, and that, I think, was a cultural experience that a lot of people had. But back then, you had your retail stores, your big box. You maybe had some smaller retailers that had some specialty items that you're looking for. And you had a classic food court. And it was a lot of fast food and things like that. I'm sure you had a similar experience. Oh, Stephen, I mean, uh, you know, back in high school, we used to always uh, go to the mall, um, go and meet, meet with your friends. But I think today uh, with digital and with what's going on with COVID, you're seeing a lot of these different companies such as Pinterest, um, Farfetch, you know, Porter.com, all of these curators that have all of these sort of um, clothing lines. They're the ones that are, are doing astronomically well, um, Stephen. And what I'm seeing in retail, even before COVID was happening, is that there's more experiential experiences within retail. So when you go into, let's say, a Louis Vuitton store, you know, there's, there's a pop-up that actually brings you to their whole history on how they came about. And there's this whole experience to the consumer because it's much more than just buying clothes in today's marketplace. I think the, the days of just going into retail or going to a mall, you're seeing the numbers decrease year after year after year because of folks purchasing online. And I think COVID has just expedited that sort of behavior and process. And now you're seeing very little folks going to retail stores because if you, if you go into a retail store today, you're only allowed 25 to 50% capacity. So you're not able to go in and, and really shop. And if you do, you know, be prepared to wait an hour or two hours online, right? So I think a lot of consumers now are used to buying online, especially the younger generation. And we're going to see a um, consolidation of retail stores closing down and creating these sort of experiential experiences within their stores instead of just selling clothes, Stephen. So I think you're, you've seen a, I think, a huge trend. I think you're exactly right. On that, and it's it's. I think it's part of the maturing of the industry, and I think you're absolutely right that COVID is not the cause of this. Yes, there might be a short-term change in behavior, but this was a long-term trend coming. And I think what happens is you want to divide a retail experience of a commodity transaction and, as you rightfully it, an experiential transaction, right? If I want to buy some socks. And I know the kind of socks that I like. Do I need to get in my car, drive, park, wait online to buy some socks? When I can just very quickly buy them online, get them shipped, usually the shipping ends up being free anyway. And then I know when it's there and it just comes in, whenever it comes in, and I can do that. And especially if you have families with young kids, you group orders, you do things, 
you don't have to then drag them all in the car, bring them there, and come back. But that, but then I think we get to the point of the experience, and this is, I think, the critical thing that's being talked about in the industry right now. How do we take something and breathe life into it? How do we make what a trip is into an experience? Because when we were younger, we may have been those teenagers going through the mall, and we're not—we weren't the kids buying a big Louis Vuitton expensive item. At least I wasn't, <laughs> and I'm sure you weren't. You know, shopping Louis Vuitton as a teenager. Um, but we went there because we had an experience. Well, I think that's changed because, you know, kids now can go online, they can instant messenger, they can FaceTime and all sorts of other applications and interact with one another. They didn't necessarily need the mall to be that meeting place, right, because they can have that meeting place in a different way. But I think what it brings in is a changing mix in retail and an experience. The plus sides that I think a shopping center has, it usually has great transportation, great parking, and a tremendous amount of flexible space. So this is where I think there's a great opportunity for creative people and to then go in and say, we can really get everything done. And you know, our prior caller from White Plains, and there's a great shopping center right in the middle of White Plains that I think hits the sort of nail on the head perfectly. It's got restaurants, bookstores, but also a movie theater and a supermarket and also clothing stores. And that's something you traditionally didn't see in a shopping mall, right? I'm starting to see in shopping malls where you have virtual reality arcades, um, where you have that great space. Um, even you have daycare and healthcare. And so what happens is you can turn that into just really a productive area. And I think that's one of the futures, whether that's a suburban model or where you do something like that vertically in an urban area. When you have a mixed-use building that way, people will view that as a destination and they can get their work done, their personal matters done, maybe go visit a doctor or a dentist, and also maybe have um, a meal as well. Um, I don't know what you, you know, you're seeing in that direction. Um, yeah. your no, I agree. For sure, for sure. I mean, a, a lot of things are changing, and um, it's just it's just a different way in terms of how we look at shopping or how we look at you know going out these days, right? So it's going to continue to always transform and progress, and these are just one of the evolutions um, that we're um, dealing with with the uh, pandemic. So. Not to say that it's bad, just a different way for folks to um, go out and and shop and, and enjoy each other's company. And companies are going to have to figure out, you know, how to really evolve and change with the times. Stephen, so I think we have a break. Yep. And when we get back, we'll talk about pop-up stores and repurposing space. In an era where it's tough to know which news outlet to trust, at a time where it's difficult to find facts, not just opinion, there is an oasis 
in the news desert. It's the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis, the personification of the American dream, who built a multi-billion dollar business empire, talks with some of the nation's top newsmakers every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You won't just hear partisan spin. You'll hear directly from the newsmakers who are shaping the news cycle in the city, the country, and the world. On the Cats Roundtable, you won't just hear about politics. You'll hear about science, business, education, animal rights, and any other topics that you're interested in. Catch the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning, starting at 8 on AM 970. The answer. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Thanks to Genesis 950, I can have guests for the holidays without the shame of pet stains and odors. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors, so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can even be used in a carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for my family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to 7 gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, grease stains, wheels, tires, decreasing engines, and upholstery. Need a holiday gift for a pet owner? They will love Genesis 950. It's available on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you will receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Do you think all vitamin C's are the same? They're not. Ester C is a superior form of vitamin C. It's the only vitamin C with 24-hour immune support. And it lasts up to two times longer than regular vitamin C. So don't just settle for any vitamin C. Buy Ester C and support your immune health today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Your business needs leads and sales. There are potential customers online right now looking for what you do. Will they find you or your competitor? You need Salem Surround. The marketing team here at Salem Surround is ready to help your business now. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundnewyork.com. Surroundnewyork.com. Connecting you with new customers. Listen to AM 970, The Answer, on Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, or Radio.com. Coming up this Saturday night at 7, it's Roman Lewis Live, New York's equal opportunity critic. Republican? Democrat? Who cares? Roman calls BS on all of them while taking your calls. If 2020 were a radio show, it would be Roman Lewis Live. Unpredictable, exciting, even, well, a little dangerous. Tune in every Saturday from 7 to 9 p.m. on AM 970, The Answer. And just to get this out of the way, we apologize in advance. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Welcome back. It's Stephen Ebert, real estate attorney from Barton LLP and Ace Watana Suparp. Um, national leader for Citizens Bank, um, a leader in mortgage lending throughout the country. Um, wanted to come back and touch on a couple of topics 
Before the break, we were talking about the evolution of shopping centers and that experience and what directions can they go. And I think it really gets into a bigger question as to what people are looking for in an experience and how can we take real estate and evolve it to the highest value. You know, going back historically in New York decades ago, as a manufacturing center, there were a lot of warehouses. And in the 70s and into the 80s, they didn't know what to do with that real estate. There was not really the warehouse space that was needed in the same way. And there was also not really um, a great need, a great business for it. And those turned into beautiful lofts that appreciated tremendously in value. And I think the lesson, and we were at a turning point then, of how to repurpose space and give it the highest value. And we're at another one of those turning points. They didn't knock down the buildings. They reset the space inside. And I think one of the things that we've seen as a trend is the concept of the pop-up store. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with it, pop-up stores are stores that change regularly. Space that you have, something that comes in there for a short period of time, whether it's because of the holidays and you have a holiday shopping experience or because you're in an area where trends change quickly. And what's very interesting is not too far away from our office, there is a beautiful building that's there that was formerly owned by a university. And this building, if you look at it, is interesting, beautiful, yet really not an efficient place for much of anything. You couldn't make it a residential building. You really couldn't put an office in there. And it took a thinker to put in a retail store and how they laid it out. And what's fascinating about that retail store is that every couple of months, they close the store for a few days, and the entire inside is completely reconfigured. And different corners and spaces are different styles and experiences of what consumers are looking for. And that's the model. And they took really what was a dead building and they breathed great life into it. Um, and one of the things that we see also from a landlord point of view is they can charge a premium rent. They know these tenants are there for a short term and they will charge accordingly. Um, Ace, I'm sure that in some of the you know, retail that you're coming across, sometimes I'm sure landlords may be looking for financing. Um, obviously, I know it's more on the, that's on the commercial side, not the residential lending. Um, but I'm sure the bank is coming across landlords that are running their space as sort of more of a pop-up store than a traditional long-term multi-year tenant. Yeah, that's the trend right now, Stephen. Um, a lot of retailers are doing pop-ups. Even restaurants are doing pop-ups with chefs for a short-term period. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great concept because you get to test out the market. Um, you're not locked in with a long-term lease but you're able to at least, um, you know, get a pulse of the consumers around there and see if your concept will work. So pop-ups are definitely a trend um, that I think will stay. I think it's something that's smart uh, for the businesses to do when testing out, you know, whether it's a new concept or just testing out the neighborhood to see if they'll be receptive. But we're definitely seeing so many more pop-ups um, come up. And I think the valor of it being a limited time uh, for it just coming for just three months or a month, Stephen, I think folks love it, right? I, I think um, 
you know, the, the audience um, loves the fact that it's exclusive. It's only there for a short period of time, and they have to go see uh, whatever, if it's a retail store, if it's a restaurant, whatever that pop-up is. I think it's all about the experience as well. So definitely a trend to stay for sure, Stephen, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so, and it gives a really unique branding opportunity. And I think what happens is, you know, traditionally you think about it, right, a place like Macy's, you think of Macy's as the brand, and then you have certain departments, and it's organized traditionally how, okay, shirts are over here, pants are over here, et cetera. And what happened was sometime, and I don't even know when it happened, it just kind of one day I noticed it, they reorganized the store, and it's with, as by, based on designer and label. So you would have Tommy Hilfinger and all of their products, and then you have Ralph Lauren and all of their products as opposed to shirts, pants. And it's really about a reorganization. And I think what's interesting is with the pop-up store, it gives the opportunity to brand in a fundamentally different way. And what's interesting is I see different, even established um, companies trying to emulate the pop-up concept. You know, I saw McDonald's recently. They created a new, and I, and I apologize, I forgot the name of who they named it after, a new value meal named after an athlete. And so they're promoting that. And it's interesting to see the co-branding and seeing his you know, value meal being promoted, more so than even McDonald's and people latching onto that. So it's a really interesting trend, and you know, I definitely give them points for creativity. And it also, I think, allows them to be flexible on space. And I think that's another thing out there, too. A lot of times I notice that there might be a mismatch of space and what's viable. Right? Sometimes you can have a great business, and I'm sure you see this with some of the restaurants, where they do well, and then they make the fatal flaw, and they overexpand, and then this business, which is totally viable, they can't survive with the additional space. And I'm sure you've come across that concept, too, sort of right-sizing the space for, for the, for the uh, retail. Definitely. No, that's, I, I mean, you know, right-sizing the space is so key uh, for the landlords. And um, to your point, Stephen, it's, it's exactly what we're seeing in today's marketplace. So in that vein, we also were lucky enough that we have a few questions that were emailed in. Uh, let's see if we can address. And one of them really is talking about land leases in a co-op. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, most of the time when you're doing a real estate transaction, you transfer the title, what we call legally fee simple, meaning you own the land and you own the building. But there are other ways to structure a transaction sometimes the original owner still owns the land and the building, and they have a very long-term land lease, or what we call a ground lease, um, which could go sometimes 100 years, sometimes even longer. And that creates some interesting questions from an ownership point of view, a value point of view, and a financing point of view. And if you want to talk about some of the consideration that Citizens Bank looks at um, when someone's looking to buy an apartment in a land lease building. Yeah, so, you know, that's common in New York City. Um, you have Battery Park City, that's a land lease, and a lot of times we'll take a look at not only the um, client's profile, but we'll also look at the collateral, meaning the land lease itself. How many years left um, do, does that building have? 
on that particular land lease is important. Uh, what will happen after it expires? You know, how much will they be paying? Because a building that's being built on a land lease, they're paying sort of rent um, for that land. They don't own the land per se. So understanding the financials of the building and how they'll handle their uh, rent increase is important uh, for the bank. So, um, you know, not not too much difference in terms of approving a client, but just a little bit of a, a different approach when it comes to underwriting the collateral and um, the financial stability of the building uh, within the land lease. When you're looking at getting a mortgage, definitely make sure that you're talking to someone who understands co-ops and condos in general, if you're looking at that asset class. But also, if it's a land lease, make sure you're talking to an expert, which definitely is, and citizens, they're definitely experts on this, because it's so important. I've seen it where people misunderstand. Great example, land leases occur for different reasons. You know, some land leases are because of a private developer, and it makes sense for tax purposes. But some land leases are from the government. We have an area in Manhattan called Battery Park City. They try to sort of make a suburban-esque area in an urban center. And that was built on the land that was removed when they built the first World Trade Center. And that entire area, the land is all owned by a government agency, the Battery Park Authority. That's a land lease. But in that case, it's very clear, the way the documents are written, that the underlying ground lease is not going anywhere. So you need to talk to the experts when you're getting financing and also having a lawyer do due diligence to understand that there's differences in land leases. They're not all the same. It could also affect property taxes and tax deductibility. And you definitely want to make sure that the value is there. There's a big difference if you have 30 years left on a land lease or if you have 70 years on a land lease because you need to have at least the number of years remaining to get a mortgage, and there are other considerations too. So definitely keep that in mind. Make sure you're using an attorney and a bank that's used to dealing with those issues. Now, the next question we have from a caller is really a concern about um, having a pet. And love pets. I have a dog myself. She's great. Um, but some buildings are not fans of pets, and they're allowed to dictate a policy whether you can have pets, how many, how large, sometimes what types, um, and that will vary. So you've got to make sure, first off, if that's important to you, to have a dog or a cat. Um, I don't think any building is going to let you have wild animals, so no snakes, no lions or tigers, right? <laughs> um, but the question here is, how can I approach my co-op in getting the okay for a pet when it's a no-pet building? Now, co-ops have the right to turn you down for any reason or no reason, a good reason, a bad reason, um, but they can't violate fair housing law. Pets are not protected by fair housing law, so they can turn you down for having a pet, except if you have a service dog. Now, if you have a service dog, if for certain medical reasons that you have a dog, for example, a classic one is if you have a seeing eye dog for someone who's blind. That is different. It's viewed as a critical element. It is not viewed as just a pet. Um, in this case, though, 
you know, our writer tells us um, that he wants to get a dog, and when talking to his therapist, wants to try to get a letter to say that he should get the dog. And this is where it's a little bit tricky um, because he doesn't already have the dog. And so he's trying to get ahead of that and anticipate. And this is where really having the right kind of real estate agent makes a difference. Having an understanding of the sense of the building and the co-op board that's making a decision, you can approach it by either trying to have that service dog in advance and getting that all approved up front, or you could buy in the building and then try to make application afterwards. But again, be forewarned, once you're in the building, you've already made your financial investment. So I personally, and this is sort of the cautious lawyer in me, always like to have my ducks in a row um, before um, taking the plunge on that purchase. So next question really has to do with investors and rent. And there's a lot of discussion, particularly last year with some changes in rent laws, with COVID also, um, what are some of the limits that landlords can have? And, and, you know, Ace, I'm curious before even, you know, I want to even ask a broader question um, than our listener even asked. If you can talk a little about, you know, some of the criteria that the bank is looking at, if you have a landlord who's trying to refinance, because we're sort of in an, an odd situation right now where some tenants maybe can't pay and there's a little bit of a revenue issue for some landlords, yet at the same time they see these wonderful interest rates where it could really have a lower payment and help them manage the property. So what are some of the things that citizens are looking at uh, when that comes along? Yeah, well, for investment properties, um, Stephen, unfortunately the rental income will be a critical piece um, to to their income, right? Um, now, if they don't need the rental income to qualify, then it's okay if it's vacant and whatnot. And, and most of the situations that we're seeing today, most landlords are able um, to qualify without that rental income piece. You know, to your point, there are, there are certain um, properties or landlord, landlords that are not getting rental income um, right now. Um, again, you know, it's a case-by-case case situation. Not, not every situation has that same scenario. But I can tell you that, you know, unfortunately, if the landlord isn't getting the rental income um, because of the situation that we're in today and they need that income to qualify, then that could jeopardize their ability to refinance their current home or if they live in a two-family and they rent out one of the one of the units and they live in the other one, um, that could affect their ability to, to get a loan, unfortunately, if they need we're that rental to income. To- we're about to go to a break. I want to talk also about temporary rentals like Airbnb and how the bank looks at that. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.